0: There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Excited to be talking about intellectual attraction today. I hope that you joined last week that we talked about physical attraction and why it's so important to not skip over it. But today, the focus is mainly on intellectual attraction. Questions that are coming in. My wife has been living with her LO for over 45 months. So that's about three and a half years. mm, Almost almost four years. Since she left me, I have been fighting with depression and loneliness and have not been able to sleep well at night because my mind is constantly on her when there is nothing to distract my thoughts from thinking about her at night. Also knowing she loves another man and wants nothing to do with me makes me even more down and depressed. We would have been married for over 40 years and it's hard to grasp the realization that she's an entirely different person. And the opposite of who she used to be. I will be 72 this October. My father died of Alzheimer's and I'm afraid that being alone, depressed and lonely all the time may cause me to contract the same sickness. What are your thoughts on that? Have you heard of any latest research on the topic? You being a psychology major. Also, do you have any advice for me on how to protect my cognitive intellectual health as I age with depression and loneliness? Great questions. And, and very sorry, sorry that you are experiencing all of this. It has to be incredibly, incredibly hard. I do not have any of the latest research about Alzheimer's specifically. I do know that they say that some of the things that can help to protect the mind against Alzheimer's is uh, or dementia is going to be get get workout, like start doing some, some kind of workout, whether it's walking, whether it's lifting some light weights. Um, I would even encourage, there is a, there's a gym close to my house that my parents have started going to, and they're your age as well. And, uh, they do a senior class and that's great because it also gives you community. It gives you people that you can be around which is also really great. Um, I also know that playing games of certain kinds, whether it's doing like solitaire or crossword puzzles, anything that really gets you to use your mind a lot to continue learning in some way is really going to be a protector. There's some things out there about diet, about things that you can eat. They say that walnuts are helpful for brain health fish oil again i would run all of that by a doctor but there's some things out there I talk about that as well as learning a new skill or learning a new language so maybe go learn spanish maybe learn how to play the piano or um or something like that do some kind of new hobby that you can take up and this isn't just true for for you This is true for every single one of us. When we talk about intellectual attraction, this is, it's the same, right? We, we need to do something to engage our brains in learning. It's healthy for our brains. It changes up the neuroplasticity in our brains It allows us to get our minds off of just the monotonous routine day-to-day of our current lives. It makes us more intellectually attractive. So doing all of these things are healthy for all of us. And it's the goal of intellectual attraction. It's about becoming that fascinating person, being a fascinating person to talk to, uh, having hobbies, having things that you do, being able to reroute your thoughts through practices of gratitude and changing the neuroplasticity in your brain through having um, more positive thoughts and less negative thoughts, right? These These are important for all of us to do. So I would encourage that. Depression and loneliness- Loneliness, again, it can be harder when you're having feelings of loneliness to want to step out and get involved with people, get in a community group, but it's the most important time to do so. So perhaps find some kind of community class, uh, a class at church, something that you can go to where you can get engaged with people. That's going to be really helpful. And it can also help with the depression. But again, I would encourage you, if if you're really struggling with the depression maybe take a depression a depression index online i think it's called the pq9 uh the short form depression scale i can't find i think it's called the pq9 uh but you can take that online and if you answer uh Yes. PHQ-9. PHQ-9. So you can Google PHQ-9. Again, this is not a diagnostic tool. Only a doctor can do that, but it is a tool that can help you just get a feel of how, if you're, if you're struggling with clinical depression and if medication could be a great option for you. In general, while we're talking about depression, when we look at the research on depression, the threefold approach is the most effective. So, the threefold approach for for treating depression is medication, therapy, and exercise. But even just doing exercise can alleviate some depression. Probably not the more severely clinical depression. Probably more of the mild or moderate. But it definitely can help. And each of those can help to some extent separately, but the trifecta is what they call it, are those three things together. So if any of you feel like you may be struggling with depression, which again, depression is a loss of pleasure in things that you used to enjoy. Um, Depression is no longer having the same appetite that you used to, either losing an appetite or being overly hungry all of the time, either not being able to sleep at all or all you wanna do is sleep. You feel like you don't have any hope. All of those things are parts of depression. And so the PHQ-9 is a helpful tool for assessing that. Simone says... I find it very difficult to decide on a goal. I'm a perfectionist and very self-critical. I have a lot of ideas and things in mind that I want to do, but I find it very difficult to prioritize. Do you have a tip that helps to decide and to overcome this feeling of being overwhelmed or feeling not productive enough? Great question. Yes, I have a couple things that you can think of. So let's go back to... <clears throat> The underlying concept of how can we create goals that are achievable? So, maybe make a list of all of the goals that you have in that you want to do, however, you want to make that list, whether it's all the goals that you like a bucket list for your whole life, whether it's things you want to accomplish this year or maybe in the next five years or 10 years, somehow make a list and then go through and prioritize based on a couple of things. So you can prioritize based on these are the things that I can can achieve in a relatively short period of time and they really matter to me. So that's the matrix I would use in my mind because I might have a goal of, I wanna hike the Grand Canyon, which when my husband and I went to the Grand Canyon last year, I left and I said, that's it next year when I come back from my residency, because um, I have to do two residencies for my PhD program, I said, next year when I come back from my residency, I am hiking the Grand Canyon. Well, guess what? My residency is in like two months and there is no way I'm hiking the Grand Canyon. Because while it's a goal and it's something I would love to do, it like in light of all the other things I want to do, In my life, it's just not the one that keeps coming to my mind. It's not the one that's going to have the highest impact on my overall. um, I don't want to use the word happiness, but my overall satisfaction with the goals that I really, truly want to accomplish in my life. And so think through that, which ones are going to have the highest impact on your life, on the legacy you want to leave, on the health change you want to have on, um, whatever, whatever it is, the experiences that you want to have in life, which one is going to have the most impact, which ones are going to have the most impact. So I rate impact. And then I would rate achievability. There's some that you may have to work up to, whether it's because it's, a something you have to save money for, like going on a trip somewhere whether it's something that you would want to uh, work up to, like maybe you want to run a marathon, but you haven't even run a mile yet, right? So those are going to take some more time. So there's still a high impact to you. They still are something you, you are driven. You would just, at the end of your days, you would say, I would regret deeply not doing this thing, right? So keep that in high impact, but then start rating it on achievability, And start with the things that are more achievable, but still have a high impact, whatever that looks like for you. So it could be if you're saying, you know what, I want to run a marathon one day, but I haven't even run a mile. So let's make a plan for for starting running that mile. Let's start following a plan to run a half marathon. And that's something that you want to do. Or maybe it's, I want to go to Iceland. I really want to go to Iceland. So if it's, you know, I want to take my family to Iceland. Okay, so then what do I need to do over the next year, two years in order to be able to do that thing? Uh, So it just depends on what it is you're wanting to do. So do I have a tip that helps to decide and overcome this feeling of being overwhelmed? Pair it down and then prioritize the ones that are most important to you. Scott says, motivation is an issue with me. I want to do a lot more, but one, I am alone in all of this. Two, I watch TV and cannot stop to get up and move. So I'm lacking motivation. I actually start learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone, but even lack motivation to do it daily. Any help? Yes. Yes, I do have some. <clears throat> uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, I found your question. I found it again, but lack motivation. So go back to what we were saying at the beginning of this about motivation, Right. Motivation happens when we feel competent, when we feel like we can do it, when we feel a relatedness about it, when we feel like it applies to other things that we're going to do in our life and when it gives us a sense of belonging. So if you keep those things in mind, then then think that through. And then the other thing is we were talking about goals. We know that as, as small as you can set a goal is the best thing that you can do. Because when you set that goal and then show yourself you can achieve it is when you have more motivation to do another goal and another goal and another goal. And so um, I watched TV. Okay. So the first thing you said is I want to do a lot more, but I'm alone. So the first thing I would ask you is, do you have, this is where belonging might be missing. Because you don't have a community, you don't have a friend, you don't have an accountability partner, someone who's there cheering you on and moving you forward, okay? So what can you do to find a friend? And that's a question for you to think of. Is there a guy at uh, at your work or at church or at some kind of group that you're a part of, a friend that you have maybe from college, whoever, a brother, a, someone that you could do something with? on a day-to-day basis or even not even a day-to-day maybe just once a month get together and just be there for each other talk about what's going on in life what you're working towards or maybe just send a text right like make this as simple as it can but do something where you don't have to feel alone so let's go to the next part of your question I I watch TV and cannot stop to get up and move. So I'm lacking motivation. Okay, so let's take this one and use that same mindset of small steps. So how much are you watching TV? Let's say you're doing it every single night of the week for three hours a night. Well, what would it look like for you to take it down to two and a half hours a night? What would it look like for you to take it down to two hours a night? What would it look like for you to take it down to not watching it on Friday night? or just watching 30 minutes on a Friday night. Just make the small steps to doing less. And what can help with that is when you replace it with something else. So maybe you say, you know, I watch it three hours a night, but now I'm gonna watch it two and a half hours a night, or maybe even two hours and 45 minutes a night. But that other 15 minutes, I'm gonna spend on learning Spanish. So you're replacing it with something, but you're also not making either of it too overwhelming. Or maybe you start with, I'm going to do Spanish on three days a week or on Saturdays for an hour. You just have to find what works for you and what you decide I can commit to that. And then commit to it for a period of time. I'm going to do it for two weeks. I'm going to do it for a month. And then once you get to the end of that month, you'll realize you did it. And you can do it again. You can do more. You can take a next step from there. That is the goal. So that is the help that I have. All right. Another question is how can I stop helping others since it takes a significant amount of my time and I can't work on myself as I would like to? Sounds like you need boundaries. Since I don't know the exact situation uh, that you mean when you say, how can I stop helping others? Um. You know, that's, that's hard to know. So there could be the aspect where you just need to set some boundaries where people are asking things of you that you don't have the time for, the the resources for, the mental space for, and you need to learn to say no. And for some people, that can be really hard based on your personality type and, and some different things like that. It can be really difficult for people to say no. I, if you're big in Enneagram, then I believe this is the Enneagram twos. If you understand the disc profile, then these are going to be our S's, our steady people. Um, you know, so it can be hard. But if you get to a point where you realize, I know what I need and I know what I what I can't give. And if I give too much of myself, then I'm I'm going to suffer for it, then, then that can help you possibly to understand at the times that you can say not right now um, instead of just yes to everything. But if it's that you have just a drive within you where you're driving on the road and you see someone broken down on the side and, and you just have to help that person, you just have this urge within you to be a helper. I mean, that's a strength. That's not a bad thing, but it goes back to the same thing, right? How are you making sure that you're taking care of you first? How are you making sure you're taking care of your family first? And then from there, you can give to others. I talk with moms a lot who say, I just feel guilty if I take time for myself. I feel guilty if um, if I have just an hour for a bath one, one night a week, I feel guilty. And they they stay stuck and they, they're so depleted in their life. They're so depleted in their soul. Like they are tired and they're not getting filled up. And I have to work with them and encourage them to say, you can't give from an empty cup. And if your kids and your family and your husband want the best of you, then you need to fill up your cup. If you want to give the best of yourself to them, you need to focus on you first, not in a selfish way. This is not a license to just do whatever you want to do and throw your responsibility to family members and loved ones and work to the wayside. Absolutely not. But it's saying, how can I intentionally focus on what's going to fill me up so that I can show up as my best self and give to the relationships in my life in the best way possible? And that's the question each of you need to answer for yourself. (laughs) I get irritated and annoyed easily. How do I manage it? Great question. Great question. We talked about this a little bit on last week's webinar where we talked about some parts of physical attraction. So the, uh, I get irritated and annoyed easily. How do I manage it? Yes. And we gave some tips then and I'll recap some of those now. My first question is, are you in tune with yourself enough to know what your triggers are? So I know for me, when I start feeling a certain way, I, that I'm getting, I know that that's when I'm getting irritated and I need to, I need to be aware and it'll typically be, I feel like a sense of tightness that happens right here. It starts in my neck and like the top of my chest and it just, it begins to feel tight. And that's when I'm getting. I'm getting heated about something. I'm getting irritated. And the more that I let it happen, the more I simmer or sit in, this situation without doing something and i'll talk about what to do in a minute then it'll kind of just get higher until it's like you can blow right you can just say like everything has to stop everyone has to stop be quiet right and just that's when you may go into that behavior you don't want to have which can again be different for everyone and so i am aware of when this starts happening, when I start feeling this tension happen in my neck and in my, like near my collarbone, that's when I need to start taking some deep breaths. Cause, and and there's a reason for this. So one of the reasons for this is number one, um, when we get irritated, when we get frustrated, when we get angry, one of the first things that happens is our breathing shallows. And when our breathing shallows, when it gets let, when we start breathing more per minute, because we're, we're, right, when we do that, that's when it signals our body for a fight or flight response. And so we can begin to rev up just because of our breath. So if we can intentionally slow down our breathing, and even having that mouth breath, having a loud breath that you do, that sigh of exasperation, actually does help to release tension. And so going to a place where you can do a couple of those deep mouth breaths for five, 10 times can begin to release some of that stress. But then from there, it may not be enough. It may be enough, but it still may not be enough. So for me, I know this situation happens a lot for me because right now I'm currently working from home and my kids, if I leave my office and I go downstairs for something, um, they can start asking me a million questions at a time. And I am thinking about the meeting that I just had or the meeting I'm about to do or the thing that I need to do and I'm in a zone. And I don't want to be short with my kids. I don't want to be irritated at my kids because I love them and they just want time with me. And so what I have learned to do as an example is take those deep breaths if they, if they start overwhelming me and then look at them with a non-irritated look on my face, right? So I'm putting it all down. I'm looking at them with all of the love and affection that I have in my heart. And I say, I cannot wait to answer these questions or to spend time with you. As soon as I am done with work, mommy has to go do this right now. And when I'm done with that, I am all yours. And so what am I doing there? I'm setting the expectations for the other person. So it may not be your kids that you're talking about here. Maybe it's your spouse who's just really irritating you. Okay. Again, we can take those deep breaths, but then could we, is it a situation where we can look at them and say, um, like maybe they've left to use a a silly example. So to say, maybe they've left. Their towel on the floor, and that really makes you angry for the fifth time in a row, or they haven't taken the trash out after they said they would three times. So maybe you take those deep breaths. Maybe you choose not to address it then, or maybe you do, and you say, Hey, it would really, I would really appreciate it if you could take that trash out. So you do something to manage your expectation for the other person, but not to let that negative emotion show from you, because that is not going to help the situation. We need to not act out of our irritability or our annoyance to the other person because it's not a healthy relationship habit. And in the moment we may feel, but I am right in this. They have done me wrong. (laughs) They have frustrated me. They are walking all over me. I need to set my own boundaries. And it's in that moment that we typically that that's when we want to have the conversation. That's when we want to tell them everything that we feel. And that is the absolute wrong moment to do it. So do what you need to do. Take those breaths. If you need to say something, say it in the most loving way possible, but you may decide I I shouldn't. I am in a situation where I do not need to say anything and I need to remove myself from the situation. I need to call a timeout or a break. It may be in the middle of a fight or in the middle of conflict or in a conversation at work, I need to say, you know what? I need time to think on that. If you're getting really frustrated in a meeting that you're in, don't respond. Don't, don't respond then. Take the time to process. That's going to allow you to come back with a better, clearer head and probably even a better answer or a better response. So those are some things you can do and then remove yourself, go take a walk, go uh, call a friend that you can vent to and let out all the venting so that you don't let it out on the person that you may really want to vent to in the middle of the moment. But those are some things that you can do to curb some of the irritability. There's one issue that I've been pointed out constantly that I keep rolling my eyes when she talks to me. I don't like doing that. I'm trying to work on things. Great. That's the first step. And, you know, it's easier to accept feedback when you ask for feedback from others, which is something I'm really trying to get better out at in many areas of my life as well. And so if you ask your wife, which it sounds like, I don't know if you did or not, but she told you, but if you ask her, Hey, would you mind, because I don't always necessarily realize when I roll my eyes. So would you mind doing some kind of non, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Non-negative remark. So I'm what I'm trying to say is if you don't want her to necessarily say to you, every time you roll your eyes, you're rolling your eyes again, because that's going to get you a little defensive. So if she can do a non-defensive signal or sign for when you roll your eyes and you give her permission to do that, and that can help you to break that behavior. So maybe it's that she like points to her eye whenever you do it. so you just know like I just I just did that. or maybe it's a word, like a safe word, like the word strawberry. And she just says strawberry every time you roll your eyes so that you know. but it's not a phrase or a word or a movement or a gesture that's going to uh, get you more irritated in the moment. And then make the conversation go, or yeah, the conversation go even worse. And then the last question, Albertus says, perhaps for the emotional section, but it could be intellectual. Although I'm in it for the bigger picture and able to absorb bad behavior from my spouse's side, I lately feel that I'm getting more and more angry and annoyed at her for how she continues on her way. How do I disconnect the angriness so I can continue working on rescuing our family and our marriage? Thanks. That is a very good question, Albertus, and definitely one that many people struggle with. We can get to the point of resentment where we think or we feel that I'm doing all the things and you haven't been pulling your weight. You're not doing the things that are best for the future of this relationship. And that can breed resentment. One of the best weapons to fight resentment is forgiveness. And you may be hesitant to forgive because they haven't changed. She hasn't changed her behavior yet. But the only person that is experiencing the repercussions of your resentment is you. And it can come out in how you treat her, how you think about her over time. I mean, the more that resentment sets in, the more it can begin to change your mind about your wife. And you can begin to rewrite the stories in your head about her to be ones that are negative because you're mentally, cognitively trying to make sense of what she's doing and the resentment that you feel. So my encouragement to you would be forgive and realize that right now she is not getting the same training so to say that you are she's not going through this course she's not going through the marriage helper material she's not learning the same things that you are and that's okay for right now now ideally long term there will come a time for getting your marriage back on track and you'll start working on this together. But in the meantime, you are the one who has the opportunity to turn your marriage around. And it can feel sometimes like you're the one who has the burden. But how can we reframe that? Think about your family. Think about your legacy. Think about the future. And try not to give up too soon. Try not to let that resentment breed those negative thoughts, which can lead you to want to give up prematurely because one day you will regret it. So forgive. And what does that look like? It's a decision. I choose to see this other person as a good person who is doing some bad things and not as the devil incarnate and to realize that they deserve love whether they're acting in such a way or not. And I'm going to choose to forgive them and not hold what they are doing against them, even though I don't like it, even though it hurts, even though it sucks, even though it's terrible. I'm going to continue moving forward and treating them like a human that deserves love, not condoning their actions and their behaviors, but choosing to love them in spite of what they're currently doing. And it's a process. Forgiveness is a process. I definitely understand that. You are on the right track. And I thank you for asking that question. My biggest problem is my anger towards her lover, not her. I have to remember that Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for them. That is true. I have to forgive him again and again. And that is the basis of forgiveness. 70 times seven will never end. It's never ending how often we should forgive. All right. I appreciate y'all's time. And next week, we're going to be talking about emotional attraction. And I know it's going to be everyone's favorite. Everyone loves some emotional attraction. I'll see you all next week. Thank you.